Sri Damodar Janani by Shivaram Swami. Nanda Maharaj releases Krishna, Part 2. The Brajmasis were momentarily stunned. They tried to piece together how Krishna had appeared so suddenly, and they tried to deduce the connection between the mortar and fallen trees. It was the only visible culprit. At first, the Brajvasis could make no connection between the mortar and the trees and Krishna. Obviously, he could not be responsible for this upheaval. Even as he played, Krishna struggled to move the heavy mortar. They were confused. By playing with the mortar, Krishna was also reminding his mother of what had transpired between them earlier. And since he did not call out to her, she understood that he was still cross. Unlike the other Rajvasis, Yashoda recognized the relationship between Krishna, the mortar, and the fallen trees. She thought to herself, maybe it was he who pulled them down. All day, she had labored against the mystique surrounding him. If he could not be encompassed by unlimited rope, Perhaps he could also drag down two trees with a mortar. Were that the case, then it would be she who had put him in such danger. Blood rushed to Yashoda's head. What if the trees had fallen on him? She was speechless and immovable. Although she knew that there was something supernatural about her son, maternal love simultaneously made her think of him as ordinary and subject to harm. What if they had struck him? She could barely keep from feigning. When her husband and others rushed to Krishna, Yashoda remained where she was. Having put him in mortal danger, she was ashamed to approach him. Diamond beads of perspiration glittered on Yashoda's forehead. Her eyes flooded with tears, and her lips trembled. Surrounded by her curious associates, she stood immovable, fighting to see through her tears. What is happening now? The Brajvasas waited between or climbed over the two trees, negotiating leafy branches with exclamations of joy and wonder. Who has done this astonishing thing? And why? Meanwhile, Nanamaraja's soldiers studied the marks leading to the trees and agreed among themselves on what they saw. From the drags of the marks on the ground and the scratch marks on the tree trunks, it appears that the mortar was the cause of this incident. Word spread quickly among the tightly packed audience. It was the mortar. It toppled the trees? Yes. But how? Look at that child. He's tugging on the rope and can hardly budge the mortar. The Rajvasis remained perplexed. They, too, agreed on the signs that implicated the mortar. But then, here was this little boy, who, though tied to the mortar, could neither become free from it, nor do any more than inch it along. How then could a toddler have broken two trees with trunks two cubits wide? It is not possible. But then... It must have been a ferocious Daitya demon. Another Sura who had come to harm Krishna like Trinavrata. These children would not be so peaceful had they seen a demon. Then, who 
who was it? The men continued to question each other, as they did. The evidence continued to mount toward Krishna as the cause of the fallen trees. But because of the Rajvasis loved Krishna in the way that adults love a small child as protectors and maintainers, they could not accept the logical consequence of their own reasoning. While the cowherd men were struggling with their confusion, the women expressed their own heartfelt concern. What a calamity! Krishna could have been crushed and killed! And yet he stands there peacefully, looking as fresh as a newly formed cloud. It is our good fortune that nothing happened to him. No doubt Lord Narayana has protected him once again. Taking advantage of the men's deliberations, the ladies made their way to Krishna and began to fondle and caress him, assuring themselves that he was truly free of injury. And the boys' mothers did the same to their sons. Watching their wives tend to the boys, some of the men voiced an additional concern. Although we moved to Gokul to escape Keshi, we have been beset with other demons here. Think of Putana, Trina, Shakata. And now this mysteriously inauspicious event, O king, we should consider relocating to a place that is safer for Krishna and for our own children. Other men shared this sentiment. That sentiment was the seed of a later discussion that would result in the Brajwasis relocating to the Vrindavan forest. However, Nandamaraj was more concerned with the present and the quandary at hand. He pondered, How were two powerful trees snapped at their bases like twigs? If there were still unknown dangers lurking nearby, the Gopas could neither resume their duties nor let their children roam carefree. The king's younger brother and counselor, Nandana, placed his arm on Nanda's shoulder. O king, since these children have been with Krishna all along, we should ask them what they know about this incident. The Rajvasis looked at the children, who then became very self-conscious and apprehensive. Being put on the spot, they looked at each other to see who would speak up. They whispered to each other, You speak. No, you. No, you. Like the adults, the boys were also bewildered. But unlike the adults, the boys were not bewildered by the mystery of who fell the trees, but by the sweetness of Damodar. While the Rajvasis were scratching their heads to understand what had happened, the boys knew. It was Krishna. And the fact that their peer, and for some their junior, could do such remarkable thing and then be worshipped by demigods meant that he was the specialist boy in Gokul. Deciding on a united voice as the best option, the boys shared a secret signal and then spoke in unison. It was Krishna! He did it! Love for Krishna caused the boys to erupt with excitement at his specialness. They could not even complete their sentence. One mother left him, then Krishna began to play with the mortar, which he eventually dragged here. Pointing to a group of flat boulders, they continued, We were playing there when Krishna crawled between the trees. Taking heart, the boys began to speak individually, competing among each other with newer details as the Brajvasis listened, aghast. The mortar turned sideways, and it was talking to the rope. 
The Rajvasis nodded, disbelieving. Then as Krishna kept crawling, the mortar got stuck between the trees, and he could go no further. That is when Krishna began to tug on the rope. First, all the birds flew out of the trees. Then the trees bent over. One boy leapt forward, and with both his hands outstretched, blurted, and then Krishna tugged, and the trees snapped with a pow. The boys were now in a fever pitch, and they all imitated the sound, or described it in their own way. It was like a boom! A thousand lightning bolts together. Crack! The thundering of millions of running cows, and the earth shook. The men looked at each other as if to say, If we are going to believe in talking ropes and mortars, then we could just as well believe that infants topple trees. The boy saw the incredulity of the adults and reassured what they had said. It is true. We saw Krishna do it with our own eyes. And that is not all. The men looked even more disbelieving, and one snidely said, The mortar then danced? Some of the men chuckled, but the boys were adamant. No, the mortar only rolled around, but then two beautiful men came out of the trees. Yes, amazing people like devas, beautiful. Now the Rajvasis took interest. Maybe these men were just the culprits they were looking for, and the boys were just explaining the events in their own way. Where did these men come from? Describe them to us. And what did they do? The boys narrated what they had seen, but the story did not make sense to the Rajuasis. They believed in spirits living in trees. After all, most of the surrounding villages had worshipped the twin Arjunas. But it was more like the spirits burst from the trees, felling them, and not that Krishna had broken the trees and freed the spirits. Why would such beings pray to Krishna anyway? Where did those spirits go? Everyone looked around with concern. Pointing northward, the boys shouted. They went up that way, up into the sky. Then Sridama forcefully added, We saw these things with our own eyes. Yes, we did, we did. While the adults would not believe in talking ropes or Krishna's downing trees, they found the report of two superhuman beings emerging from the trees plausible. At least it was an answer, something they did not have. Krishna was angry at his mother, but that was his childish nature domineering his godhood. Yet the Lord's pastime potency was not forgetful of Krishna's divine will, of the order he had given her that morning. And so Yogamaya arranged events accordingly. So far, broadcasting Madhya Shoda's majesty in loving devotion had been the theme of the day. And while Nanda Maharaj was not her equal, he was a close second, himself with no equal. Until the completion of this pastime, Yogamaya would now orchestrate things in a way that a hidden purpose of Sri Damodar was realized to make known the greatness of his father. After his friends disclosed the truth of events, Krishna was slightly concerned that the cowherd men 
may give thought to his superhuman powers and show reverence towards him. I do not want their spontaneous love checked in any way. To offset such a possibility, Krishna applied all his talents to childish play, tugging at the mortar, making grunting sounds, and showing irritation and not being able to easily move it. There was, however, little cause for Krishna's concern. Nanda Maharaj and his subjects were so overwhelmed with affection for Krishna that their hearts could not admit to the slightest possibility that this playful child could topple trees. Looking at each other, the Rajwasis simply smiled as if to say, What fertile imaginations these boys have! What stories will they not make up to exalt their friend? But not everyone thought this way. Some of Nanamaraj's Brahmana priests could not help but recall Gargamuni's revelation that Krishna would be equal to Narayana and his qualities. Moreover, they had been witness to the death of demons like Putana, events in which Krishna had always played the leading role. They were not convinced that the boys were spinning tales. Exchanging hidden glances, these Brahmanas thought, since this boy was prophesied to be like Narayana, it is possible that he could have broken the trees, and it is possible that demigods then worshipped him. This notion, although momentarily, was a result to the Brahmanas' weaker love for Krishna. Because of their vast knowledge of Vedic literature, their attachment lacked the spontaneity of the Gopas and the Gopis. It was hard for them not to see Krishna in the light of scriptural revelations describing the incarnations of the Lord. But when the Brahmanas saw Krishna playing, appearing to be no different from other children, they admitted that such a helpless child could not be God. Still, their intuition and sensory perception remain at odds with each other. Thus, confusion and doubt prevailed in their minds, and evidence of that was visible on their faces. But the company of the Rajwasis was overwhelmingly contagious. Their natural show of affection for Krishna, their words, gestures, and smiles, fanned the Brahmana's own love for Damodar. When other liquids mix with it, the ocean's salty taste does not become less salty. To contrary, some authorities say its saltiness increases. Similarly, the liquid of reverence for Krishna's power did not diminish the Brahmana's ocean of affection, but instead miraculously enhanced it. With this new wealth of love, the Brahmanas also gave up any idea of doubting Krishna or his friends. They too were happy to languish in the sweetness of Krishna's playful movements and childish prattle. Nandamarsh moved closer to his son. This was his first entrance onto the stage of Damodar Lila. He had heard the village women call his son Damodar, and now he was seeing his belly-tied son for himself. And he relished the sight as only one with peerless fraternal love could. In the way that Mother Yashoda was the emblem of maternal loving devotion, Nandamarsh was its paternal counterpart. In parental love of God, only his good wife surpassed him, and even then her supremacy was marginal. The king's first concern was for Krishna's well-being. Seeing the boy playing with his new toy, the mortar, Nandaraj inferred that Krishna was unhurt. Affectionately running his hand over Krishna's every limb, 
Nandamarj confirmed that his son was unscathed. When Krishna managed to pull the mortar for a short distance, the king proudly exclaimed, How strong you are! Nandamarj's chest swelled with pride at his extraordinary son. Here was his greatest treasure, born of his own seed, the source of his endless delight. His love for Krishna ablaze, Nanda reflected on how his beloved was placed in such a dangerous situation. He thought, How surprising that my queen could have bound her beloved child and then left him alone without thinking of the dangerous consequences. Binding Krishna was an act of cruelty and abandoning him one of negligence, and it was unprecedented punishment for such a small offense. Certainly, my queen did not give this act careful consideration. Although he thought in this way, the king had no doubt about the extent of his wife's love for her son. More than anyone else, he understood and revered Mother Yashoda as the perfect mother. Yet in their parenting, she was the stricter, sometimes hot-tempered one, while he was the permissive, doting father. When Yashoda chastised Krishna, the boy would take shelter in his father's lap, where refuge never failed him. Nanamaraj recognized the exchange of love that underwrote the day's events, and which had brought Krishna to this predicament. His heart softened, and he smiled at his noticeably reserved son. Perhaps he fears further chastisement. The king smiled broadly to encourage his little son, his lips moistened by tears of love. Nandamarja's smile was as much to encourage his frightening boy as it was to reassure his anxious wife, who closely followed the proceedings from a distance. Repeatedly scanning Krishna's soft limbs for a bruise, Nanda exchanged joking glances with his son. Dear boy, your mother, whose lap you always prefer to mine, has bound you for an insignificant offense. How can I excuse you from the discipline imposed by her higher jurisdiction? Krishna had indeed been fearful of how his father would react. His mother may have complained about the rampage through her storeroom, and the villagers could as well be upset at the loss of their worshipable trees. But Nandaraj's reassuring countenance eased his mind, and he smiled in return. Krishna's smile was wide, revealing two rows of small pearl-like teeth sparkling white against ruby-red lips. It was a thankful smile, a reassuring smile. Krishna was thankful that his father was not upset, and he was reassuring the king of his well-being. I am well and unharmed. Krishna's smile also parried his father's humor. O king, in this land, you are the ultimate shelter. When I have been rejected by my mother, to whom else can I turn? Nanda's smile broadened to its limits, he thought. You, who bind and liberate all living entities with your own maya, are now bound yourself. And still you manage to fetter your own parents with the ropes of your love, ropes from which we never seek liberation. Casting a mildly reproaching glance at his wife, Nandamaraj leant over the mortar to untie his son. Then he looked back at her for a second time as if to ask, May I? Except for Madhya Shoda, no yogi, jnani, or bhakta. 
however competent, had the authority to bind the supreme lord to a mortar. And only one who was her equal, Nanda Maharaj, was qualified to free Krishna from Yashoda's fetters, and even then, only with her permission. Mother Yashoda replied with a faint but anxious smile, Yes. With this empowerment, Nanda Maharaj first untied the rope binding the mortar. Then he turned to Krishna and untied the rope from Krishna's waist, repeatedly chanting, Govinda Dhamadar Madhava, Govinda Dhamadar Madhava. With Krishna free, Nanda Maharaj embraced him, smelled his head, and covered his cheeks with kisses. As the rope that bound Krishna's belly fell to the ground, it manifests its full length, which was the aggregate of all the churning ropes and cow ropes of Gokul. But the great king of Gopas was too absorbed in the ecstasy of loving his son to notice, and even if he had, he would have simply shrugged off the marvel as one of those mystical events that followed his little son. <laughs> 